You are listening to the Logos broadcast with Fergus James Murphy. Brian Barry is with me today. He is the digital GAA editor for Sky Sports. He's also a local man. He's a fellow Cooler GAA player or former player. Do you still play? Pl- player. I haven't been forced into retirement yet by okay. the dodgy hamstrings, but uh, then again, a standard might force me into retire now, retirement now sometime soon, but hopefully we'll keep it going for another while. Good stuff, yeah. So uh, I must say I'm a former player, but I'd love to come back. You're a hurler more than a footballer. Well, I suppose, yeah, two left feet, so I okay. keep them away from uh, any balls. I'll, uh, I'll hit it with a stick anyway, all right. Good, so. Good stuff. Well, we, we are going to look at this past decade in Irish sport, and you have a, not a bird's eye view, you're, you're right in there in the thick of it. More specifically in GAA, yeah. in, in your job, but you have a view on, on all, all things Irish sport, more than most people probably. I don't know about that, but I'd, uh, it's kind of the nine to five anyway is, uh, is is focused on keeping abreast with things Irish sport. Not to say my opinion is any more relevant or or probably a lot more incorrect than anybody <laughs> else. But uh, anyway, we'd, yeah. uh, I, I keep abreast anyway. Let's right. say that. So great. Well, well, let's get going. So we're going to start with soccer. What what stood out for for Ryan Barry in in Irish soccer between two thousand and ten and and nineteen? An Irish lens. Well, I suppose. If, it's late 2019 so we can't mention probably the legacy of this decade is uh is going to the the tremors of it will be felt for the next 10 years probably in irish soccer and we don't since the fai accounts and everything like that and everything that might be uh come out of that but i suppose internationally straight out is the two european championships we qualified for uh 2012 was obviously a 16 team tournament and we we drew our way there under giovanni trapattoni it was we'd got bad luck in a few playoffs for for a few years but we drew estonia in the playoff wasn't it so we uh and um yeah, the less said about that, the better. When we went over to Poznan and Gdansk and got it handed to us by um, Croatia, Spain, and Italy. But yeah, well, since then, like Trapattoni did a job. He kind of he came in and cleaned up after the Stan era yeah, and the uh, catastrophe. Yeah. But he just defensively solid all too well. And then um, O'Neill came in and kind of kind of did plateau. And Trapattoni stayed for one campaign too long. But O'Neill came in and he actually what we hadn't done and. 10-15 years was actually win games like rather than just the 1-1 victories or the nil-nil victories that we used to always get we actually so he got a few big scalps in his time obviously uh, mm. beating Germany beating Italy at the Euros albeit a second string Italy team but on an international front that was probably it at Euro 2016 and getting into the last 16 even though per se we didn't get any further than 2012 because it was still we were relative more or less the 16th team in the yes, tournament exactly but um but I suppose in terms of just to feel good and actually the 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 terms in which we exited, we mm. probably exited on some more respectable terms. We even had the hosts and the tournament favourites, France on the ropes in the in the last sixteen, yeah. didn't quite get over the line, but it was yeah. so that. Um in terms of domestic game, I suppose you can't look past Dundalk and what they've achieved. Uh won all the cups and leagues the last few years by uh, a small break in that by Cork City, but uh, yeah. and they're running Europe as well, which I suppose in terms of pound for pound was hands down the best Irish soccer sport and achievement this decade. Just really? actually, yeah, just getting into the group stages and holding their own, getting a few results. I know Shamrock Rovers did it as well under Michael O'Neill in 2011. But in terms of just the resources at the display of the, the league and everything that goes with it and they're going up against bigger teams, better resource teams. Yes. 
better funded teams which soccer is all about unfortunately and that's the bottom line so yeah actually going deep and holding their own in europe uh was hands down i'd say the best irish sporting achievement on the soccer field Granville, we'll move on. Uh, it's funny we talked about a, a inverted commas a foreign sport first, but that the Garrison Games it uh it it is a mark of. It indicates how how big soccer is in this country and and it, and it has been for many years. But let's go to Gaelic football. What what has been the highlight in your uh, opinion? Um, in this decade well we can't go anywhere without mentioning the five in a row i suppose so we were just mentioning there a moment of the decade is probably not a moment it's just been a five-year progression dominance dominance is the right word i think uh, for dublin they came into the start of the decade well near the start of the decade in 2011 and once they got over and they were underdogs in that game against Kerry. but since then they've been going in every year as favorites and mm. they were a bit like not wishy-washy or flaky is completely the wrong term but they weren't as consistent and they weren't on in 2012 to 2014 yeah. those three years they probably could have should have won three of those years and they only won one in 2013 okay. and 2014 i suppose obviously was the genesis of that team i think it was um that lost to donegal was what shaped this team and what ensured they would win five in a row right. looking back it was kind of the catalyst jim mcginnison's donegal team caught them on the hop they weren't equipped to play against a defensive system and everything that's followed after was a culmination of that and they said that's not happening again so terms they actually in a lot of the crunch games in 2015 and 16 while they were improving they didn't come across these ultra defensive teams at their peak so yeah. to speak it was kind of the Kerrys and the mayos who were really putting it up against them fighting fire with fire but in 2017 a very good tyrone team re-emerged and um they hammered their way through Ulster, okay. uh, hammered the fancy Donegal team, hammered down in the Ulster final and made a mess of our man in the quarterfinal. Okay. And they went into that semi-final and people were saying here, this counter-attacking game that they're, that's rocking for Tyrone at the yes. moment is really going to trouble Dublin. And Dublin had just, they were too wily, they just said, three years ago we lost to this team, like or basically in Donegal, we lost to this style. We know how to play around it now and we know how to be patient and we're gonna well Keno Sullivan was the centre back and he sits in the pocket so we don't get caught in the break. Yeah. And it just sat back for two or three minutes while Tyrone had possession, got a quick turnover, bang up the field, Conor Callahan got a goal into the go. sixteen <laughs> and they hammered them. Marries your auntie. <laughs> exactly. Tell me about the hurling. What happened in, in this decade? Um it was well if the Nauties was um uh I suppose the traditional powerhouses dominated the noughties in terms of Tipperary, Cork and Kilkenny. It was a much more democratic decade, we'll say, in the, in the what do we call this decade? 2010s, 2010s. Yeah, um, so there was, Kilkenny got there, uh, it started off still 1-4, uh, the first five All-Irelands of the decade. Well, I suppose 2010, so they won four of five all in a five-year gap. And Tipperary won three in between, but at the same time, the uh, playing field was leveled a bit. Clare got in and won one, Limerick got in, won one, and Galway got in, won one. Whereas, and it's actually in a very healthy state in terms of a broad landscape. It's okay. um, like going into 2020, there's nine, and it has been the case for the last two or three teams that there are nine teams going into every championship with a realistic ambition yes. of winning Lee McCarthy. So, yeah. Um, would Dublin be part of those teams? 
Absolutely. I think Dublin are a team at the moment that I'd probably say, do I think they will win Lee or they can win Liam in twenty twenty? I'd probably say no. I think they can beat absolutely anybody on their day, and they showed that this year, and they beat Galway. Um, are they ready? Where would I be surprised if they are? I I think they they're certainly capable. They beat the previous year's All Ireland finalists, and and uh, okay, they got caught by Leash on the day, and that was mm. probably a bit of mental fragility and everything. But you saw the Leinster Championship this year. Four teams finished on five points: Dublin, Galway, um, Kilkenny, and Wexford. So. Everybody, they all beat each other essentially, yeah. apart from Wexford who drew with everybody. But um, now probably if I had to pick kind of a moment of the decade in terms of hurling, it's probably top level hurling. Was the All Ireland semi final weekend in twenty eighteen? It had been okay. such a brilliant championship, I suppose, and it was wide open, and all the kind of the big teams, your Tips, Corks, and Kilkenny's, well, yeah. Cork were still in there. But your tips and Kilkenny's who dominated for so long were were out of the picture. And yeah. it was literally it was anybody's all Ireland, although Galway were kind of favourites coming in as reigning champions. But um but it was the first year that the GA by design had put the two semi finals together. So it was almost like a festival of Ireland and yes. Crow Park. And Water or the first day, sorry, the Galway Clare game on the Saturday evening it was it went to extra time and it was there were some magical scores now really? and it um it went to extra time. It ended level after okay, back to Turles next week. But the next day going in, everybody was saying, "Geez, if we'll um if we get half the game we got yesterday, we're in for an epic." And it was actually it was better again. Oh because, my goodness. Uh, Cork and Limerick played out a cracker. Limerick won after extra time and went on to win the All Ireland. But it yeah. was um yeah, it was just more of a festival of Ireland. But yeah, I suppose you probably can't like look at Ireland and say it's all rosy, in the garden in terms of. Half the country plays it, but half the exactly. country, it's like you'd, you could arguably say the game is dying in the second half of the country and it's, yeah. it's kind of been kept alive, but it's on life support, I yes, suppose. Yes, so yes. Probably a different highlight of the the uh, decade in terms of a neutral perspective was Lockie Hill Shamrocks, the Antrim Club, winning the Club All Ireland title in 2012, just because it's, it's up there, it's got that pocket in Antrim, but the GA, like. Ulster hurling is not always properly served correctly like they and from hurling for instance like it's it's a power that they're capable of getting to the top level in terms of like they what the they have they have the clubs okay yeah. there's a basket the case with Casement Park there is the hurling tradition I suppose yeah. but um but they got to an under 21 All-Ireland final a few years ago in 2013 I think it was and they were playing Wexford yeah and the neutral venue was deemed to be thorless. Like you yeah. know, that that was an opportunity that to have. that's an opportunity to bring it up to just getting all Ireland under twenty one hurling final up in Yori, up in Armagh, something like that. That it actually really you know. Sloan. Is, it, what's the, is the one called Sloan? Is that a stadium? In Clonus. 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 There we go. Up in Monaghan. Dude, that's shocking. But uh, like, but something like that. You're. You know, up and that's an opportunity again. Derry got to an All Ireland hurling semi final at under twenty one level two yeah. or three years ago. Played Kilkenny in a neutral venue in Thurles. Like go figure. Like yeah, at least come on, yeah. Uh, Neil now are playing uh Ballyhale Shamrocks in a in an All Ireland semi final next month, and that's going to be in um that's in is it in Yori or um, I think it's in Yori. So at least there's bits like that, but yeah, it, it, like. Yeah, look, it's been a brilliant, don't get me wrong, it's been a brilliant decade for Hurling at the top level, but at the same time, I think it's remiss not to mention 
the other side of the coin in terms of what can and that that's a beauty of it I suppose it was Leash had a great year but you'd be looking in the next few years and hopefully the next ten years to see your your Leashes your Carlos your Westmeads taking the next step and then the tier yes. behind them taking the next step up again because yeah. that's the next challenge for Hurling I suppose because. Like they want everyone to be no one to be left behind, basically. Absolutely, yeah, and and we're looking at and we're losing awfully, like which is sad in yeah. terms of they're gone down to the third tier now for twenty twenty. But wow. at the same time, we shouldn't just keep awfully in life support at the expense of other counties. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. your Carlos yeah. and your leashes have shown consistently over the last few years that they are like they're they're performing and delivering mm. results consistently higher than them. So yeah. I don't think they should. Offley, the sanctity of Offley's spot in Leinster Championship or, yeah. or anything should be protected at the expense of any you. other counties. But at the same time, yeah, we, we can't afford to lose any more counties. Well, moving on from the GAA to rugby. Tell me, what, what was your highlight of, of this decade? The people's game, as it was aptly uh, coined there a year or two ago. But um, I suppose, well, to your look, it's probably, a, it's probably a, the decade will be remembered on a macro level for Ireland's failure at World Cup, the three World Cups in the decade and failure to get past the quarterfinals. But I suppose on a more, just a highlight from an Irish perspective on field, achievement was probably, like Leinster were, they won their Heineken Cup in 2009, but they weren't the force yet that they were going to be and they came back again and won two in a row in 2011 and 12. But the competition and the Irish provinces had their kind of, both had their problems throughout the decade, but in terms of the English and French kicking up, moving the goalposts, yeah. losing interest perhaps in the tournament. But in 2011, I think the on-field highlight was Leinster in the Heineken Cup final. They were okay. against um, Northampton in Cardiff. They were getting it handed to them at halftime. I think it was 22-7. Uh, game over they were getting scrummed off the field they were just it was, a, it was only done one day one one way and Johnny Sexton kind of grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck fairly famously and it won 33-22 wow. the ultimate game of two halves but he was kind of young at the time and any ex-players who were in the dressing room said that he, he gave a speech and a half anyway and um and then he led from the front on the field so that was probably terms of they came back the year after and they yeah. uh, defended it they kind of made light enough work of Ulster in the final but probably on field that was the achievement obviously like the in terms of moment the final day the Six Nations in 2015 was fairly special as well um, when Ireland beat Scotland they didn't know whether they had enough and they were waiting on the result in the England-France game mm. and obviously the Grand Slam in 2018 beating the All Blacks twice in 2016 and 2018 but yeah Probably for a lot of people there is an asterisk over that that they beat New Zealand twelve months out from a World Cup, but you know New Zealand were just getting their house in order and they played twelve months later or eleven months later in Tokyo and uh, that was kind of the defining result anyway between Ireland and New Zealand's kind of yeah. rivalry over those few years. But yeah. now for me probably on field in that moment and achievement and performance I think that second half from Leinster against Northampton was hard to beat. Tell me now about the the World Cup because. There was a funny video and, and we we had a chat on the phone a couple of months ago and you said you knew the fella on, on the on the news and, and he typified I don't wanna kinda of misquote you but, but yeah, what, what what was the cultural phenomenon that, that you observed uh, as part of the World Cup? I, I suppose well it wasn't just me, I suppose it was like I think Ewan McKenna kinda of writes fairly extensively on this and is 
I think that it's certainly there. A lot of people do agree with him in terms of rugby country or the team of us, etc. That like a lot of people don't relate to rugby, and that's fine, you know. But a lot of people did feel that, and they wouldn't particularly say I, I'd kind of I'd hundred percent subscribe to this notion myself. But a lot of people did feel not alienated by the team, but it's a team they couldn't relate to. It's a sport they couldn't relate to. It's it's no, an experience they don't. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's no secret that the majority of players do come from a small bubble of private schools, etc. And, and, and a few other cities. Well, you know, look, even in like Limerick is probably an outlier in terms of world rugby, in terms of that is not pro- predominantly a, a middle class sport. But if you look at Galway, you look at Cork, you look at Belfast, the majority of elite rugby players do come from a, a small select group of schools. So of private schools so it's um I suppose that kind of did feed into and and there was a lot of literature written back and forth about it that people were saying it's like it got brought up on the Northie Highlight show um your man Darrell O'Brien did float it to a panel saying is it now the people's game is this the sport of the people when in terms of it possibly is in ter- in some pockets of the country, but in other pockets of the country where people only know GA yeah. or only know soccer or, you yeah. know it's they're kind of saying, hold on a sec. The one, so, the one thing it does have over the soccer, sorry to interrupt yeah, you, no, but no. the one thing it does have is we succeed more than in soccer, so maybe we like to to celebrate it more in, in some on some occasions, oh, like absolutely. today with New Zealand, but but that's only a little flash, you you might say. because well, well, of course we're more successful in terms of um, like on-field achievement in terms of... But I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm, I'm a big Ireland rugby fan, but just in terms of the devil's advocate, some people might say well, it's only a nine-team sport, really, ten-team yeah, no, sport true. in terms that's of... That's not devil's... That's, a, that's the yeah, truth. So in terms of soccer, we're consistently in around 30th to 40th in the world. Out but, of a few hundred, like. But, yeah, there's, there's over 100 teams that are play to a meaningful level, I suppose. Yeah. So... If you flip it out and look at rugby, and they say there's only it's it might be a ten there's only ten elite teams kind of way, and we yeah. never get past the last eight of a World <laughs> Cup of the top tournament. Even though here, flip side of that, we in our own right got to the top of the world rankings before the World Cup. So there's yes. um, I suppose there there are those arguments, but no, absolutely, we've won European championships, won Grand Slams, won, and we like have been heavily successful in in the sport as well. Even if yeah. there's um only six countries in Europe who do play it we've we've been the top country in Europe yeah. and won those tournaments as well so there's the flip side of that so you mentioned someone going to the Iron Islands and other places but was that the fellow you were talking about Bunin? Um Kenneth? no that's uh, that's actually in today's um oh, sorry, what are we just uh, today's the 21st of December so a plug for the Irish examiner today but as <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it uh about the paper I haven't sunk my teeth into it yet but there's um there's a piece on it kind of examining like places like in Leitrim or something where rugby isn't strong or something. Is it actually the ripple effects of this phenomenon, if you want to use that? Or is it actually people, is rugby kind of hitting it on the ground there? Or what people, or is it treated with indifference or apathy? Or do, are people aware of it? Or were people supporting it during the World Cup and etc.? And you're no doubt they are. It's the same as anything. We saw last year when the Irish hockey team did well, we were all hockey experts like... When in the late eighties, when the Irish cyclists Sean Kelly and um, Stephen Roach were going well, 
the country went cycling mad. Yeah. We were all mixed martial artists apparently there in the, the middle of the decade when Conor McGregor was doing well. So that's just the nature of Irish society, I think. But yeah. Not that we're a bandwagon nation. No, we're but on we, the same we, side though, yeah. We, we, we like our own doing well kind of way. And, and there's only a few of us. We're a small country. Exactly, so absolutely. We unite easily. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. But, but with the rugby, the, as, as we were saying, the, it did alienate some people. Exactly. Well, speak, this is going even more extreme than rugby then because cricket is even more, I suppose, uh, yeah, you know, select in, purely in, in terms of numbers and socioeconomic standing of, of people who, who have an interest in that maybe. So what was the highlight in the cricket? Well, yeah, no, we just chucked this down on the list because I suppose it was. Look, we beat, uh, didn't we go out to the World Cup in 2011 and beat England, which was probably... Um, Kind of compared at the time as England going out and beating us at hurling or something, you know. So we bet them at their own game. So yeah. I think it would kind of be re- remiss not to mention that and perhaps some of the, some of the greatest sport and highlights, I suppose, of the of the decade, given just that it is like a in terms of playing numbers, one of the biggest sports in the world. Like you know, yes. it's massive in India and Pakistan and these places with vast vast populations. So, yeah. and we did punch above our weight and actually beat one of the heavyweights of world cricket and Irish cricket I suppose has made strides over the last 10 years in terms of got test status etc and going toe to toe with some big nations and the likes that England are actually happy to play us in test matches or these these big countries are coming and playing us in one day internationals and stuff so it's yeah. I suppose yeah as I say remiss not to mention it kind of way so fair enough and again it's funny I'm, I'm, I don't want to overstate this but again golf not everyone in Ireland plays golf, but we do identify with some big golfers. So, tell me about what happening in in Irish golf or for well, Ireland's golfers in in this decade. Well, a uh, raft of majors really probably on paper the most successful ever decade for Irish golf. So, you mentioned relating to some people and not others probably raises an interesting question in golf because, like here, look, it's December twenty nineteen and people are kind of reviewing the decade and saying. Yeah, look, what was the standout achievement? Perhaps it's recency bias, but a big thing that's coming up is Shane Lowry winning the uh, the Open, and um, like of course he's one of the most likable elite Irish athletes. Absolutely, I think people look at him and it, they kind of a he's relatable, he's friendly. You go on his Instagram and every day, like he'll be kind of up he'll be watching cheering on Irish athletes and other things he's watching a Premier League game saying go on Seamus Coleman or yeah. he's watching the rugby team or he's watching the darts during the week with so a lot of us yeah he's, he's an everyman kind of way whereas I suppose like in terms of but I read a piece by Karen Shannon in the Irish Examiner last week um, who was saying athlete Irish athlete of the decade across any sport it's not even up for debate um, that is Rory McIlroy he won four majors he's consistently been plowing away in um on the PGA tour and picking up titles there as well and he's yeah. he's actually in golf which is a, a global sport yes. he's been arguably the top golfer worldwide over the span of the decade so that's no mean feat and no. perhaps he's not as lauded in Ireland as Lowry is for instance I like which raises the question maybe, yeah. yeah celebrate is the right word I suppose in terms of Lowry won one and that's not taking anything away from Lowry but McIlroy won four majors and why I suppose isn't that celebrated and sure there's no beating him around the bush the fact that he's from the north I suppose and that he does have dual loyalties or so to speak that he does feel that he might be 
part of Great Britain and he might be or uh, sorry the United Kingdom or and he's also from Northern Ireland and he's got that Irish element and that's that's the thing with athletes full stop we've seen that in boxing as well here and Carl Frampton perhaps isn't as praised and that's it's fine it's just it's the nature of the beast I suppose yeah um I heard other people talking about is it perhaps the things that McElroy does off the course in terms of he played golf with Trump, he avoided the Olympics due to the Zika virus, he mm. blah, blah, blah. Like just, yeah. There are other aspects, I suppose, to why he mightn't be as popular. But you know, look, on in terms of regardless of how popular he is or how many people out in the street in Dublin might be cheering on his name, the fact of the matter is he's won more majors than anybody else. And yeah. like it's in raw achievement, it's hard to argue with um, Shannon's piece the other day saying that yeah. there's also Darren Clark and Graham McDowell won majors earlier in the decade and they have to be kind of mentioned as well, I suppose. Mm. So it's, um, but yeah, a fairly fruitful Maybe decade for Irish golf. Could you say golf is Ireland's strongest sport? Certainly a case to be made, yeah. Um, Horse racing, I suppose, as well. Even though I wouldn't, uh, my Paddy Power account wouldn't uh, would attest to the fact that I'm no uh, expert on the horse racing. But um, um, but yeah, like horse racing, there's a case to be made. But golf is right up there in terms of how how high we punch on a global stage. So yeah, well, let's go to boxing and Katie Taylor, who has encountered various toils in her her own private life. She has been incredibly consistent, hasn't she? Over. Oh, yeah, over the last more than more than ten years. So anyway, from from that highlight in two thousand and eight, where did or was that a highlight? But where did Irish boxing go from there? Um, it was two thousand and eight, wasn't it in Beijing? No, Jesus, two thousand twelve. What yeah, am I saying? Yeah, she won in two thousand. Sorry, f- forgive me. Two thousand twelve was when all that happened. So take me through the decade. Yeah, I suppose. Well, Katie Taylor, I suppose, put Irish boxing on the map in terms of. Um, well just in terms of sorry put women's boxing on the map like she's kind of heralded as one of the main reasons why it got olympic status and she certainly backed it up in the ring with her performances in london in 2012 took the bronze medal home and that in itself is one of the greatest kind of achievements i was sporting achievements this decade but then she went pro and she's cleaned up all before her it kind of goes to show just in the last year or two that she's really not only just become a kind of an Irish phenomenon but mm. actually she's been started celebrating the UK have picked up on her in a big really? way because um, Matchroom Boxing have signed her up like with Eddie Hearn and he, she's first of all she was on a lot of Anthony Joshua's cards as the co-main event etc but she's really? starting to headline cards herself as well now and wow. she's actually people are appreciating it and like I suppose it's the rising popularity of women's sport over the last few years as well but she's really headlining it and she's She's really the poster girl for women's boxing worldwide. There were a lot of, particularly for her first few fights in the pro game, there were were a lot of kind of comments saying some of the best female, well, most of the best female boxers in the world are in the amateur game, so why would she go there? But it's actually shown, and she's had a few real battles with Delphine Peterson, namely over the last few years, and there's a few big fights, um, Amanda and Cindy Serrano coming up, and there's a few big opponents left in the coming months and years for her mm. if she wants but she became a two weight world champion she unified her first division and she went up and won another belt and so okay. there's no arguing with kind of her achievements and how she carries herself outside the ring too yeah she's winning fans without what we see the trash talk in boxing and in the fight game that others have done i suppose yeah. that's pe- what people get as well that she's very humble and she's not she is she's not she doesn't draw the line like she's quite reserved in person but she's 
you see her she you saw her in the late late toy show there a few weeks ago like that's the kind of uh, the young girl who's a boxer and she came in and she gave her the present and she said come over and I'll, I'll do a training session with you and true yeah. to form that kind of popped up on her social media channels this week really? but it um but she she doesn't look for the limelight in terms of she's not saying look at me or yeah, yeah. which a lot of maybe it's probably a financial thing in terms of boxing but a lot of kind of pugilists kind of feel the need to and feel it's a necessary part of the sport and possibly it is to sell themselves but She's kind of selling her fights and growing in popularity without doing that. She's doing her talking inside the ring and then mm. with her humility outside of it. And I remember, I remember, I wasn't there, but I remember seeing the pictures of her homecoming to Bray. I think it must have been in 2012. In 2012, yeah. And it was massive, a massive thing. Like It was a huge celebration because she's seen as a Bray, a woman of a, of a girl or a woman from Bray. You know, she's not this kind of distant elite yeah. who went off to England when, when she was 15, like some soccer players, you know, that, and she's really connected with with that, that area. And but I, I suppose she was, she was probably only the second, like, really kind of uh, sportswoman, Irish sportswoman ever to be held in that breath after Sonia O'Sullivan in terms of celebrated so widely. And we're probably almost taken for granted given how much, like, popularity of Irish women's sport has skyrocketed in the last two years even and just a rise in attendance as the ladies football finals etc but yeah but in terms of like it hasn't really happened it hadn't really happened before bear sonia i suppose yeah. um yeah we had a good swimmer in the 96 olympics who's um whose reputation was probably a bit tarnished over what transpired afterwards and yeah. with katrina mckiernan and a few other athletes who kind of weren't at that level i suppose but in terms of a global level yeah katie like Dick like was up there with Sonia O'Sullivan I suppose but Katie did get over the line and get Olympic gold which as we know doesn't happen too often these days for Irish athletes so um but again like like if there is one kind of athlete to challenge McElroy in terms for like the Irish athlete of the decade or sports person of the decade is certainly Katie Taylor so mm, that's that's nicely nicely put and well to go to darker uh, elements of, of Irish boxing I, I just Again, I was out to the National Stadium. Today is the 21st of December. Keela tonight are playing in the National Stadium. Which is, Do you have a ticket? I, I would love a ticket, but okay. I don't have one. We'll keep the ears to the ground the I, next uh, few hours. So. I, I went last year with my brother and it was fantastic. But it's a, it's a funny place. It's called the National Stadium, but it's a kind of a... It's a little bit like these soccer stadiums. Uh, like Yatalka Park. It's a bit... It seems a little bit tired or a bit neglected. Unloved, maybe, so... That's just that was my own experience of that of that stadium. But tell us about boxing in Ireland. What what's going on there uh, on the ground? Well, I I wouldn't be a complete expert on boxing, but just in terms of a kind of macro level and a few like sometimes it's difficult straight out time zones and like and where the big fights are. So sometimes it's not always heralded in terms of publications mightn't send and media houses mightn't send journalists to go to what are sometimes massive fights because they might be on the west coast of the states or something just sometimes just not financially viable so yeah. you saw kind of Andy Lee winning a world title and it was kind of it almost caught the Irish media and Irish sporting public off guard there wasn't like he had the world title fight but there wasn't a massive hype all week in the lead up to it in terms of wasn't on everybody's lips in the same way if there was a big in the same way that Bernard Dunn when he won the yeah. world title in 2000 and which was this decade as well, actually in 2011, so I suppose we should, um, or 2009 that was, sorry, the previous decade, but that was at home, that was in the tree arena, but 
Irish boxing hasn't had the big home event since even Katie Taylor hasn't had a pro fight in Ireland so so but I suppose also a lot of the kind of the fanfare around Irish boxing has decreased due to the kind of the controversies with MTK and their media ban and then okay that's been lifted their media boycott has been lifted but there certainly are scars there and there's relationships cut ties and everything like that so what happened was that the the um the boxing promotion company fell out with or weren't happy with uh aspects of reporting by the irish media uh on a few of their events and a few ties uh which perhaps and suggestions of where their money came from so well let's call a spade a spade there was a shooting at at a boxing fight in the Regency yeah. Hotel, that that was the start, was it? Uh, that, that was kind of the genesis of it, and there was a bit, um, there were a few suggestions that money in boxing is coming from various different quarters, I suppose, so yeah. and um, What kind of quarters? <laughs> or well, maybe you want to be careful here, but well, I'm, I'm going to well, keep pushing you. Well, I suppose <laughs> the, the, the talk is that it's coming from the Kinnons, coming from the drugs industry in Ireland at the moment, or the, the drugs trade in Ireland, and there's money coming in from there, but MTK... They announced that they wanted fair news and that's why they boycotted the Irish media and they instructed a lot of their fighters uh, to boycott the Irish media, which in essence, the, the only loser there was boxing and the boxers, unfortunately. Like, boxing is a minority sport in Ireland. It's not, you know, it's not GA, it's not rugby, it's not soccer. That's going to be in the, uh, the back pages every, every week. Yeah. It's, you know, so they're always battling for publicity and something like boxing where they crave publicity. I mentioned, talking about Katie Taylor, that most boxers really need the publicity to sell their fights and yeah. sell, like, create a bit of fanfare around them. And when, so basically there's almost a media blackout of these guys. Some of the top MTK fighters are fighting somebody like Carl Frampton, somebody like uh, Mick Conlon, so these guys like that. So, um, And if you look, it's over now, but I suppose, as I say, there are some scars there still in terms of relationships between the Irish media and, uh, those who were instructed to boycott them. So, so does MTK oversee all the boxers or just a few? No, no, no. It's in, in terms of if you're a boxer, you're, you know, you can sign for anybody. It's like okay. any individual sport. You sign for different agencies, etc. So, Ryan, uh, tell me about the the phenomenon of around Conor McGregor. Um, well, I mentioned there earlier that we're a great nation for not a bandwagon, but I suppose. Um, in that case, I would call it a bandwagon. To be well, honest. well, I suppose it was the very definition of a bandwagon. But I, uh, I, I do think it has had a legacy too. You see, Bellator, who were a secondary kind of um, mixed martial arts promotion, coming over and selling out the three arena two or three times every year now, and there are kind of a next wave of fighters, I suppose. But mixed martial arts wasn't a thing really in Ireland. You'd see the UFC on the telly beyond time. You'd see Brock Lesnar and Chuck Liddell, but you wouldn't like. For me, anyway, it wasn't it wasn't something I would have been mad into before, and then kind of McGregor comes along, and he's your look. He's you saw to talk, but there's no athlete in the world that sold themselves better, like more effectively over the last few years, in um and Irish people have a particular knack straight away of jumping and liking to see Irish people do well, and of course, like all of a sudden, if you're going to an away game, like it's not like. You're following the Irish soccer team going to some less glamorous cities in Eastern Europe or something. You're going to the bright lights of Las Vegas if you want to see them. So like, yeah. people kind of bought onto that, and there'd be ten, fifteen thousand people going over for a really? fight for the weekend That's in Las Vegas. Uh, well, for the Jeez. I think there were two big ones for UFC one eight eight nine against um, 
against Chad Mendes and uh, 1-9-4 against Jose Aldo. Those two, there were big, big numbers there, you know, so it's... And uh, the ole ole kind of been <laughs> rang down the Las Vegas Strip, but just in terms of and uh, people responded to him and he became a like a global phenomenon really. Um, just in terms of but like, people because ask his me trash that, talk and his yeah. Yeah, they say to me when I go to America, they say, "Oh, you know McGregor," and I, I'm so angry because I I don't I don't like the the sport. I, I don't judge it, but yeah. for him to be the. The ambassador for Ireland in, in America, oh, for me, disappointing. Oh, but but this, it's the truth. Oh, it's absolutely. People all over the world, he's the most famous Irish person on the earth right now. Yeah. None, like, um, so he's... Um, but but then the other thing is, here, look, he's, he's, he's rubbed people up the wrong way too. Uh, there's plenty of kind of... Um, there's a book out this Christmas just kind of pointing out the other side to him. But in terms of, like, people kind of went off him because he t- didn't told him to carry himself as well as he could have in press conferences how he sells fights he threw in racial slurs um he called a guy of german descent before he was fighting a nazi called really? him in a tweet he he kind of made other insinuations in the lead up to the jose aldo fight uh, against uh nick diaz and against a guy called Kami, eh, most recently against khabib Nurmagomedov, who that guy rug- it rubbed him up the wrong way and the fight was over, but some of his previous opponents had kind of realised that this is just to sell a fight. The other guy, perhaps he insulted him a bit too deeply and got close to the bone, but your man wasn't just happy with tapping him out. He kind of jumped the cage and he had a go at McGregor's team afterwards and all, and all hell broke loose. There were riots in the arena between really? fans and everything, you know, and that's just... It went too far. It's, it, it wasn't... Well, that's when you, you know, mix... For me, the, the problem with UFC is it's not about the sport, it's about all the other stuff. At least with, with, with real sport, and what's the definition of a real sport, I don't know, but there is definitely far more of an emphasis on the bloody fanatical nonsense around... It's show business the, as well. Show, that's a, that's all know. that it is. That's it's, all I'm saying, yeah. Uh, like it's, it's a highly skilled sport, don't get me wrong. Like the bread is. and butter, and they train like they probably do. more disciplined than most athletes, and they need to keep their weight down, and they need to... Yeah. But at the same time, you're right in terms of there is a bit of... I'd like to say needless fanfare, but perhaps in that environment and in that space, it's it is uh, it is a necessary in terms of selling fights. But like, there's plenty of worthy pursuits yeah. in an athletic arena, and and this thing, I know, again, I'm interrupting you, but I just have to say, like, in August twenty seventeen, I was new to uh, the United States, and we there were there was about fifteen tennis players sitting around a a, a laptop watching a stream of McGregor Mayweather. Yeah. Not for free on, on cable TV, not on a, an illegal stream. We were paying $5 each to contribute, to chip into the pay-per-view. Yeah. This was costing 50 60 $70. I can't remember how much it was. Uh, but the, the thought of paying, you pay 80 euro max, or, or probably less, to go to Crow Park on All-Ireland Final Day. Oh, yeah. To be there yeah. at the national final. And for this, you're watching from your home. Yeah. And some people are paying. How how much does it cost usually? Do you know? Um, to go for a fight, it can. So to I watch, was I to, was to watch uh, on your computer. Oh, on your um. So or normally TV. here it's it's a bit cheap. Like, I paid for the um Anthony Joshua fight against uh, Andy Ruiz two three weeks ago with a friend, and it was I think it was was a twenty seven euro. We split it two ways. Yeah. But it, that's a lot cheaper than the states. There, like as you say, they might go sixty seventy dollars. But this was huge. This was yeah. the Mayweather McGregor. Do you remember? Yeah, I I was I was at it incidentally. You were at that. I, I, I was working in a journalistic capacity, so I didn't fork out. But uh, the great pity of that was the, the arena was half empty. Really. 
people got priced out like there was so I, they, over, they overdid it maybe I, I was at a lot of uh, McGregor's fights in the UFC as well well three of them I think in Vegas and um, people were there but there were t- like there was no there, there wasn't any less Irish people in Vegas for the Mayweather fight it was just less people at the arena because you literally get priced out of it like people paid like I think the cheapest tickets going on the day and they were going were $2,000 or something oh, yeah. which is it was too much and people like and that kind of that did put me off McGregor a lot as well in terms of not that year look I always kind of I was always treaded carefully with him in terms of whether I re- could really get behind this guy but in terms of after he won the Josie Aldo fight he did pronounce and he shouted out Ireland baby we did it and he held the tricolour aloft and he said like like after one of his other fights when one of us go to war we all go to war and like it was all about like the Irish he very much involved the fans that came over and travelled away and then this time he took part in a thing that tickets were cheapest tickets in were probably two grand you know and that's like I'm not saying the UFC tickets were cheap but they were probably like a quarter of that maybe okay. whereas people can here, I'm not saying like 400 quid to watch a fight is completely stupid, don't it's get just, me wrong, is, but, it's, it's but for something that can literally last 13 seconds, but at the same time, that's something that's like there's a big difference between like you know, you can you can save up for a good few weeks and months and you yeah. can take the hit probably a 400 quid to watch a fight, whereas yeah. like if you if that's something you, you really want to do, whereas yeah. two grand people just nobody can, like you know, yeah. unless you're super like yeah, stupid yeah, yeah. money to throw away yeah. and watch what was. A bit of a charade really was the only reason it happened was money you know it's like you come from a tennis background and people kind of saw two like sports okay they both hit each other in the face but it's two completely different disciplines it's probably roger federer going over and playing the world's top badminton players so like it's probably a an apt enough description like it wasn't like it was just a money-making exercise and a bit of a publicity and yeah like stunt and it was everything like that and it built each other's brand so they yeah it kind of it made sense for all parties was it uh was it a sporting phenomenon or was it a great i don't think so should we celebrate this guy i don't think we should but anyway that's no well i I don't think so and uh like in terms of i think he's crossed the line in terms of do we we don't really back him as much as we did i don't think so and i think that kind of put off like whatever about people are into mma and people want to support their own and see an irish person at the top of the game but in terms of just the average person on the street i don't think that's air of goodwill is there as much if they see somebody throwing out racial slurs or throwing a thing in a bus or whatever yeah or like like to sell a fight anything like that yeah exactly throwing trolleys at a bus i was at a press conference covering one of the fights where he started throwing cans of monster and water bottles and um at his opponent nick diaz and his camp and it was like you know people are just like to be honest we don't like that's why Katie Taylor is the absolute antithesis of that. Like she goes yeah. in, there's no bravado outside the ring, and she goes in and she does the fighting. Whereas, or she does her boxing rather than fighting. And um, yeah. and McGregor goes, you you know, is the other thing, and he goes, and perhaps he does things to sell fights that doesn't really sit well with um, with the layman and the person walking down the street who wants to see Irish athletes doing well. You know, yeah. so yeah. So he he's an interesting one because we. We don't necessarily classify him as an Irish athlete, do we? But but he is in many ways. He it's a it's a funny topic, McGregor. Right. Yeah, he's in a, he's in a weird situation there. We just spoke with all these different sports in Ireland. Yeah. And as you said, you focus on the GAA. But but how did you get into your current job at the moment? 
it's a it's in a new industry or changing industry. How did you get into sports journalism as as you are? Um, right, loaded question. Well, no, so you probably went to, not you went loaded. to college in Cork. Yeah, so I studied a, a degree in law and Irish in UCC, um, which was very good back in really in hindsight, I suppose. Um, like in terms of law, isn't strictly part of journalism, but then again, journalism isn't. It's not like nursing, or it's not like medicine, or you know that you need a very or an architecture that you need a very specific course to do a very specific job like yeah in terms of there's a lot of transferable skills that i did in my law degree that might kind of benefit you do a lot of writing obviously you do a lot of research you do a lot of kind of questioning you do a lot of it's thorough yeah exactly so there's lots of transferable skills and you keep it um keep it so i actually i joined um an emerging publication in 2015 when i left college called pundit arena I worked with them for two and a half years. It gave me great um kind of experience, I suppose. Um, went from d- d- that allowed me to actually branch out and do a bit of broadcasting with other things. So I, w- I did a few bits on RT two. I did a few bits on TG Cahir, a few really? a few various radio stations as well. All the while writing with Pundit Arena and the excite- We did a bit of broadcasting with uh, Pundit Arena as well. Uh, in terms of podcasts and creating online videos etc so it was kind of very kind of broad backing and i'd say a good start although i suppose like anybody you make mistakes but uh they um along the way but sure that's the that's the beauty of it and I'll, i keep on making mistakes i think everybody does but that's a good way to be but um mm. yeah no so i worked with them for almost three years and then in 2018 i joined sky sports uh job opportunity came up and i said i'd i'd take a take a different path so it's a ga only I suppose um role and it's uh so i'm mainly writing on the website so i, I always say i have a face for the radio and a voice for print media so i'd be suited to the writing kind of way so we'll um so uh it's gone so far anyways t- almost two years later i'm still with sky sports writing away so uh oh, well it's i don't think there exists a steady job in, in journalism anymore so is that is that a steady job or, or how does that do you know what I mean what are your career prospects in you don't need to be too specific about Sky but your future do you, how do you see that well, it, just you think, can't see anything I'll, I'll you? give you a very broad uh, answer to that I think the future journalism and people are saying oh, I like they say when the people were working in canals like during the industrial revolution and trains came in they just said like the people weren't working in the canal industry even though it became redundant they were working in the transport industry so they just needed to change it slightly so like you're not working you mightn't be working in a newspaper or you mightn't be wor- you might be working in a newspaper or on a website or on a radio or on a tv station and it's going to change has changed dramatically over the last 10 20 years going to change even more dramatically over the last but if you say you're working in a for a website dot com you're not you're working in the media and people you. people are always going to want content and want news and want everything like that it might shift the medium in terms of that they're consuming but they're still going to want content so i suppose you need to kind of keep broadly that's through my like limited experience in the sector now not even five years so it's um yeah i suppose just moving forward it's with the age everybody has a smartphone how does that it's changed how they're they're reading content but we've seen over the last few years that people have like 
initially people weren't paying for content online and it's free for all then some publishers have come together you've seen the second captains who went behind the paywall and it's really working for them really? um you see the how many listeners are they getting i, I couldn't quote you offhand but they um it they seems to be working and it's certainly viable for them you see the athletic have just come in from the american sports and uh and went for a very hard launch and uh their so- uk soccer coverage and is working for them so the I think the kind of the moral of that story is people will pay for content if, if it's good yeah. and they're happy. They're not just going to pay for the sake of it to read one article and click in. But if people are, think content is good, they're going to pay for it. But in terms of the same way that the music industry involved there, because people were downloading music and they just said, nobody's buying CDs anymore. Music industry adapted and they said, you know what, let's do Spotify or, or let's do Netflix similarly. And and for tv shows and movies that people pay a small amount for a vast catalog of things and i suppose that's a way of one industry survive because people said how's music going to make money because people are downloading for free so i suppose and this spotify model or this netflix model etc is how the industry reacted kind of way so there's an example of how media can react i suppose to the new challenges that do face it so so you're you're not worried about that well, I suppose, look, I think everybody's like, well, you're go- certainly interested in how it's going to go anyway in yeah. terms of how my career might progress. And, you yeah. know, as I say, I'm not like a seasoned veteran in an industry in any way, shape no. or form. I'm only relatively new in myself. So I suppose a lot of more experienced people might give you a lot more experience and better informed answer. But that's how I kind of see the layout land at the moment. But it's certainly, e- even since I started, and the media, the like podcasts have blown up, for instance, or yeah. you know, so there's new aspects all the time. Facebook Lives were really in vogue there for about a year or two when Facebook was probably a bigger platform than it is now. It's probably decreased over the last two years, but and it was a publisher friendly platform rather than they'd kind of in terms of their algorithms and everything, and they were pushing things like that. So, yeah, it's interesting. Like, they're just examples of small changes that have yeah. come and gone over the last few years. So, interesting to see how it is going forward. Daily, well, well, again, I'm going to go back. Uh, this will be the last thing because I want to know how did you physically you finished your law in Irish? Yeah, didn't you start doing something in law? So, how did you fall into journalism? Uh, so, or did no, you start doing I, I didn't straight out of college, so I was doing a few bits in law during uh, while I was in college, but it was always writing. I kind of knew from an early ish age I wanted to go into sports journalism. So I had that. a vague idea, so I was writing for various publications, I was doing bits and bobs, I was um. I was writing for the college paper. I was writing for. I did. So I went over just as a fan to Euro twenty twelve. I remember and wrote a bit of a fan diary and stuff. And it was, you know, doing bits and bobs. And then I, with Pondit Arena, who I started actually writing with. I was doing bits of work with them while I was still finishing college and everything like that. So, and then I got a job out of that. So it was kind of, I was always writing and it was always kind of, I didn't get into broadcasting until I finished college. In terms of not that I do a huge amount of it. Uh, but I do it now and then but your yeah, writing is kind of the bread and butter and it was yeah. something I, I was acutely aware that I wanted to do and I was doing it throughout, uh, throughout college yes. okay so you, you have been on this kind of track for a good while and and, and here we are so long may that continue Brian thanks a million for talking to me today glad to be on it Fergus anytime good luck <laughs>